up, y'all? This is Marcus Sniffles from the Committee Podcast. We are a double-gated community talking life, culture, music, racism, anime, sports, and other things. Um, today, it's just me again. Um, I'm one of the... I'm, I'm actually the only member of the Committee Podcast that likes the NBA and follows the NBA. So this episode is going to be specifically just about the NBA and more so about the uh, NBA draft. At the uh, the time that I'm recording this, it's the day after the draft. Uh, obviously, uh, Zion Williamson was the number one pick. Went to New Orleans and that's all good and dandy. I mean, here's the thing. I love the NBA. Big fan of the NBA. Not a big fan of the NBA draft. And I think the reason why I'm not as big of a fan of the NBA draft is I don't watch college basketball, which is it's kind of weird when you think about it. Like, how can you be a fan of the NBA and not check out pretty much their minor league system as far as, like, who's coming up, who's going to be the next guy, how do they play against, you know, uh, their peers and all that stuff. How do you project what they're going to be in the future without watching them in college? And honestly, I just, I don't think college basketball is good basketball, in my opinion. Just, like, the three-point line is shorter, so it doesn't cross over to the NBA they're overly coached. Like they literally cannot do anything without the coach telling them what to do. Like they, they don't have an opportunity to create on their own. Some of the players aren't professionals. Like I'm more into watching professionals over amateurs. Um, I mean, there's I've seen college games where like the highest score was like 40 to 50 points. And that wasn't a championship game. The score was like 62 to 68 or something crazy. There's also like, you know, certain players that can't dribble with their left or go left, finish with their left. It's just like, I don't see how it's more entertaining or more enjoyable to watch worse basketball players than to watch professional basketball players that are actually great and talented. So not only am I not a big fan of uh, college basketball, but I'm not a fan of the, uh, the NBA draft. Um, I'm actually not a fan of the draft in, uh, in any sense. I remember in, I believe it was 2017, uh, Tom Ziller from the from SB Nation wrote an article about uh, abolishing the draft, and I read it, and I read it, and I went into I, I went into the article thinking like, okay, how are you going to make sense of this? How can you get rid of the NBA draft and the NBA still be, you know, a competitive balanced league and all that stuff. And I read it. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet it out with this episode. And some of the points that he made were, they were pretty valid points. They're really good points. And for the, for this episode, I'm pretty much going to explain why I agree with the article and why I think the NBA should look into getting rid of the NBA draft uh, entirely because it's, you, you, as we go on, you'll kind of see why I'm not that big of a fan of it. Um, some of the reasons why I'm particularly not a big fan of the NBA draft is because I don't think it's good TV. Uh, it's not entertaining. You're not getting anything. Like, I didn't watch last night's NBA draft, but, I mean, what are you getting by watching the NBA draft outside of knowing who the first overall pick is going to be? We've known for like two or three months that Zion Williamson is going to go number one. We knew that. I didn't need to watch TV to see that. Like, how entertaining is it to watch a bunch of 18, 19 year old kids go up and shake the hand of Adam Silver? Is, I mean, is that good TV to you? Does that sound exciting? Does that sound like something you'd watch regularly? Like, that's, I don't know. That's just not for me. I'm not a big fan of that. But if you were to get rid of the NBA draft, we could make better TV. And the reason we could do that by is instead of watching a, the bad teams pick good players, you put that power in the hands of the players. You go to Zion Williamson and he's saying, hey, I want to go to, you know, these three teams. I'm picking between these three teams and whichever three of these teams impress me the most is who I'm going to pick. And on such and such a date, I'm going to have a television special, kind of like the decision. And I'm going to let everybody know which team I'm going to sign to as a rookie. 
that would be more entertaining TV as opposed to him going up there to uh, shake the hands of the commissioner and then going to New Orleans without having uh, say so. But let me let me get back to the article as far as like why they want to get rid of the draft. The reason they want to get rid of the draft is because a the draft rewards mediocrity. It rewards teams that aren't good at what they do. You look at a team like the Phoenix Suns. They've had a top five pick in the last three drafts. Last night, they had the number six pick. They haven't won over 25 games since 2015. All these lottery picks, all these top five picks, and they haven't been able to win more than 25 games. There's 82 games in a season. Then you have all these draft picks, all these opportunities to get it right, to find the franchise-changing player, and they haven't been able to do it. And even today, does anybody feel like the Phoenix Suns are going to turn the corner next year? You think the Phoenix Suns have a good foundation as far as uh, making it, turning it, turning into a playoff team, turning it around? Do you think they're going to win 40 games next year, or are they going to be back in the lottery again for the, what, sixth time in five years? Like, why do why do these teams keep getting rewarded? Why not? Why why is Devin Booker being wasted in Phoenix? Why why does he have to do that? And the thing, the funny thing about Devin Booker is he wasn't even drafted in like he wasn't even a top five pick. He was picked at thirteen. So you can almost make the argument that they they got lucky and found that guy. Like anybody could have had Devin Booker for the most part, and the Phoenix Suns got him. And I think he's a really solid player. But you wouldn't know that because, for one, he plays on the West Coast. And for two, he plays for a sorry franchise, a super sorry franchise. Like that team is so bad. They've had town hall meetings where the, the citizens and the people that live in Phoenix have gone to like government representation and stated how they want the owner to sell that team. They want that owner to get rid of that team because they're, they've been doing such a bad job. They haven't been doing, they haven't been building a team. They haven't been trying to spend money to get better. They just keep miring and mediocrity and wasting talent. That's, does that seem right? Like in what other field can you be bad at your job and continue to get rewarded? What other business out there is there to where you can just, all right, well, we're not good. We suck. We're not going to try to spend any money on any good players. We're not going to bring in any good players. We're just going to bring a bunch of old players in. And we're going to continue to lose. And at the end of the year, we're going to be rewarded with a high draft pick. What other business do they allow that? Where, where is that a thing? How is that good business? If you look at a team like the Phoenix Suns or the Cleveland Cavaliers, even the um, the, New Orleans, the, the New Orleans Pelicans, these teams don't have to sell themselves as good franchises when it comes to draft time they can be as piss poor as they want to be they can be as incompetent as they want to be they can continue to be mediocre as they want to be and they can still get that high draft pick now if you're an nba if you're a college player coming out of coming out of college going into the draft you have to sell yourself you have to show that you can be a good player that you can be a professional that you can be a game changer that you can uh, accumulate or be, become ingrained into the league, how to be uh, a, a smart basketball player, a good teammate. You have to do all these things. You have to show all these teams that you're good enough to be there. They interview you. They probe and prod. They look into your past. They look into your backgrounds. They talk to your friends, your families, your teachers, your coaches. The girl you dated in third grade, they're talking to everybody to see if you're good enough to play for that team. Imagine if they did did that on the flip side. Imagine if we just turned the tables on that. Now you're Zion Williamson. Now you're looking at a team like the Phoenix Suns and you have a, you have the option of going there. You look at what they've been doing for the last five years. You talk to players like Devin Booker and some of the other players on that team. You see how the franchise or the fans react to them. And you determine like, hey, are y'all good enough for me to go there? Like, is this the place that I want to work at? Because at the end of the day, that's what this is. It's picking a place for you to work. We don't do this anywhere else where if you're a, one of the best, pick any profession. If you're an actor or if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a plumber 
or whatever. You come out of school, you come out of your trade school or whatever it is that you do and you're ready to step into the workforce. There isn't someone telling you, hey, you have to work here. You have to work in this city. You have to work in this state. Unless you're in the military, you get to choose where you want to work, where you want to live and all those other things. In the NBA, that choice is not made for you. Like, how is that fair? And I understand the whole concept of, oh, with sports, it's, you can't, it's not about what's fair, you know, and that's kind of a, a silly concept to me, just because when you're a college player, it's not fair for you to be able to make the NCAA, your coaches, you know, the national TV market uh, sponsorships, you're, you're making all these people money and you can't get a dime of it. That's what's really not fair. So let's not talk about, oh, it's not fair for the teams that they can't, you know, get a high draft pick because you're not being fair to the players when they're in college, when they can, when they're obviously bringing in money and you're not allowing them to partake, to get a piece of that. So I don't want to hear about, oh, what's fair, what's not fair. Another thing is the whole idea about, uh, because I I tweeted about, you know, they should get rid of the NBA draft and a lot of players, a lot, not a lot of players, a lot of people would come to me and say like, hey, well, if there's no NBA draft, how do how does that affect the large markets, the small markets? And, and more specifically, how does this affect the small market teams? How do small market teams attract free agents, attract rookies if there is no draft? The thing that I would look into is we have to determine what exactly is a large market and what's not. Or what's a small market? Because I think I think if we're gonna if we're talking about markets in the NBA, there's a large market, there's a small market, and then in the middle it's just everybody else. You're just average. So how do we determine what? How do we determine the size of the market? What are the factors that we have to take into consideration? And I was thinking about it. I did some Google searches to try to figure it out. And the things that I came up with is fan support. Do you have a you know a solid fan base, a fan base that's going to show up to the games, that's going to watch your games on TV, that's going to, I mean, tweeting about your team, that's that's something too. So, do you have fan support? Number of fans that falls under fan support, also with the TV sales, TV numbers, uh, ticket sales. Are you able to promote your your team and players to a large market, to a large audience of people? Are people watching? your games. Another thing, location. Where are you at? Are you near big cities, uh, major media areas? Are you in places with nice weather, places that people would want to go to? Do you have a good history? Do you have a, uh, do you have a, I don't want to say like a grand history, but does your team hold a historical, uh, does it have historic value? What is the history of your team? And do you have national relevance? I think those are going to be, I think those are all the key factors as far as national relevance, the history, your location, ability to promote to a large audience, fan support, number of fans, ticket sales, TV sales, TV views, whatever you want to say. I think those are the factors that you need to take into consideration when determining if your team is a large market team, a small market team, or in the middle. So after I took all those factors into consideration, I decided to say, okay, which teams in the NBA are large market teams? Large market teams that I've got are both of the New York teams, both of the LA teams, Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston. I think the Warriors will become a large market once they get to San Francisco next year. And in quotations, I put Atlanta because I feel like they got everything like outside of the fan support. I feel like the fan support is coming up now that they have a pretty solid core. So Atlanta is kind of te- is teetering between that uh, large market to a uh, medium size. Uh, the small market teams that I have, OKC, Toronto, Milwaukee, Indiana, Orlando, New Orleans, San Antonio, and Phoenix. All the other teams, I'd say they're just average in the middle type teams. So if you were to get rid of the NBA draft, how does a team like San Antonio, Orlando, Oklahoma City, Toronto, Milwaukee, whatever, whatever, how do they attract? How does a rookie determine like, hey, 
I want to go to uh, Indiana. How do we keep all the rookies from going to New York and LA? Which the idea that all these rookies and uh, free agents are just dying to go to Los Angeles and New York. I think that's an outdated concept and it's an outdated idea when you consider that we have social media, you have NBA TV, you have NBA packages to where you can watch any team, no matter where you live at. Anybody can be a star no matter where you live at, no matter where you play. If you're great, you'll be a star no matter where you're at. Now, if you play in LA and in New York or in New York, you'll be a bigger star if you're great or if you're bad. Like if you're bad, you'll become known for being bad. But uh, yeah, if you're a great player, you'll be found out no matter where you're at. Like I think um, like a team like uh, uh, Portland, like Damian Lillard, Dill Lillard is a star in this league, but he kind of, he doesn't play in a large market. And ask yourself how many big time free agents have gone to New York? Who's the, when's the last time New York got a major, major free agent where you were like, oh, wow, this is going to change the game. This is going to shift the power of the NBA. Mari Stoudemire? That's, that's the last guy? I mean, Melo got traded there, but was Melo a top 10 player at that time? Was he a championship caliber player? Was he a player that if you had him on your team, you're a championship contender? That's something you have to think about. Los Angeles. Grant, the Lakers just got LeBron James two years ago, but one can make an argument that he's been planning to go there for six years. Like, he was going there no matter what. But what other free agents have gone to Los Angeles? A lot of teams have, a lot of players have had meetings with the Lakers. Uh, Marcus Aldridge, Paul George, both of those players had meetings with uh, Los Angeles. Both decided to play in smaller market teams like Oklahoma City, like San Antonio. So I don't want to hear about the idea that, oh, well, all the players are just going to go sign up and play in New York and Los Angeles, and that's going to be the only two teams that people care about because it hasn't happened. <laughs> free Major free agents aren't going to those teams outside of LeBron James. So I'm not – it's hard for me to accept the idea of, of that, of people going just to New York and Los Angeles. Because it hasn't been happening. People have been choosing small markets over the larger markets. Why is that? You look at a team like San Antonio, you look at how they're ran from top to bottom, as far as from their GM all the way down to their coach. They have arguably, I, I would say, the greatest coach of all time in any sport in Greg Popovich. They have a pretty solid foundation. They've been at the top of the game at the top of the NBA, making the playoffs consistently, winning 50 games consistently, and they've been doing it with a rotating cast of players. They've been able to do that. OKC, they have stars over there. Maybe they have a solid GM who's good with good with the money and the contracts. They might have a good locker room. Maybe the fans are very supportive. But look at the Lakers. Look at their GM. They're, they traded, they've traded for Anthony Davis, but they might have fucked it up because – the GM doesn't know all the rules. That can be, a, that's like a demerit for them. Like you're trading for Anthony Davis right now when you could have waited and saved $30 million so you can bring in more players to fill out that roster, but instead you did it too early and now you might not be able to get that third max player that you want or that second tier all-star type player. That's something that players will look at. Okay, I can go to LA or I can go to San Antonio. Okay, San Antonio, they're pretty pretty well-worn organization. Meanwhile, the Lakers, their GM doesn't know what they're doing. And they've, he's shown that constantly over and over again, that he doesn't know what they're doing. So that's one thing that I would uh, take into consideration. That's one reason that I would, I would push back on the idea of, okay, if you get rid of the NBA draft, then players are just going to flock to the East and West Coast, the big market teams. One thing that... I never really thought about, and I touched on it earlier, is the idea of not being able to pick where you work at. You should be able to, you should have the right to choose as a professional where you want to live, where you want to work. They're literally putting their bodies and careers on the line. 
and they should have some say so in where they go. Nobody should have to waste their prime years. Those four, the, that, the, the idea when you get to the NBA, that first contract, what you're working towards is to get that second contract. And that lets you know that, hey, I'm here to stay. Once you get to that second contract, then you're good. You're good to go. You're pretty much an established NBA player. But if you're somewhere floundering for a terrible organization and you can't get to where you're showing the best of you and you're out of the league, it's like, well, it wasn't my it wasn't my choice to go play for the Cavaliers. I didn't choose to do that. It's not my fault that I got drafted by the Suns and now I'm out of the league. When if I would have got drafted by a more competent organization, I would have had better coaching, better you know support system played for a better franchise, a smarter ownership, smarter GM, smarter front office. And now I'm now I'm out the league because I didn't get a chance to choose. Look back to what the year was it 2010? The year where LeBron James left Cleveland and Dan Gilbert put out that letter. You know, you can some people call say it was racist. Some people say it was like unprofessional. It just wasn't a good look for him as an owner. And you look at how the fans reacted to when LeBron came back. Like I've seen fans boo players and I'm, I'm fine with all that, but I feel like the Cleveland fans took it to a whole nother level with how they treated LeBron every time he came back to Cleveland. You go back and read the letter that Dan Gilbert put out there. Undertones of racism and classism or whatever it is you want to, you want to say. Now imagine that there is no NBA draft. Who can't? Who was the first pick that next year? The very next year was I think it was Kyrie Irving. Imagine Kyrie Irving thinking about, hey, maybe I should go play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh wow, look at that letter Dan Gilbert just put out. I don't want to play. Do you want to play for an owner like that? If you had the choice, if you had the opportunity to choose, like, hey, I can either play for this owner who might be crazy and might be racist, or I can go play for somebody else. That's that's the whole point of rewarding mediocrity, rewarding unprofessionalism. Even if you look at, say, the, uh, the, the, the previous finals where Kyle Lowry went into the, to the stands, went into the stands trying to catch a loose ball, and the Warriors minority owner pushed him for no reason. You could look at that and say, hey, I don't want to play for a team where they have people like that on their payroll. It puts more pressure on these teams, owners, coaches to put out a better product. And by doing that, it makes the NBA better. It makes it so you don't have all these tanking teams, these sorry teams that are just putting themselves out there to lose. You don't have to worry about people doing the process like what Philadelphia was doing, where they were just putting out anybody, anybody to go out there and lose where it didn't even matter. And they were just like, hey, we're going to be in the top. We're going to have a top three pick. So it doesn't even matter. We're just going to keep we're going to keep on losing. You kind of mitigate that kind of stuff because you can't just it's one thing to tank, but then it's another thing to show that you are poorly run. And that's kind of what you get rid of. Say if you're the Knicks and you're saying like, hey, we need to be a better run organization. We need to change some things around here. What is the main reason why players don't go to the Knicks? It's because it's because of their owner. So if you're the owner of the Knicks, you have to look at yourself and say, hey, you know, I've got a good coach. I can maybe I got a good player. My GM is solid, but players still don't want to play here because of me. And that forces the owner to either change their behavior or if they don't want to change their behavior to either sell the team or just live with the fact that nobody's going to come play with them. And at that point, you know who you're blaming. You know who to, as a fan, as a consumer, as a customer, you can look straight to the ownership and say, hey, the reason why players aren't coming here is because of you. So you you put more pressure on the owner to behave, to act professional, to do the right thing, to make smart moves, as opposed to just tanking. So I think that's one positive that we could get by removing the NBA draft. Now, I don't think that they should remove the salary cap. Like, because like I said, I think that's what 
keeps the balance between large market and smart, uh, large market and small market teams having a salary cap where you can only spend so much money. So you just can't buy out the whole league, you know, like have a certain allotment. You have a certain allotment of money every year for rookies, rookie contracts, and you can do it that way. I, I don't see how this is a, a lose lose a lose situation by getting rid of the draft. Now, in my opinion, I don't think they're ever going to do this because you know it's not a thing where getting rid of the draft is. I don't. It's not a bad idea. It's just we as fans, as consumers, as people in general, we're not big on change. Like if you go to somebody and say, "Hey, what do you think about the NBA getting rid of the draft completely?" For the most part, people are going to tell you it's a dumb idea. And the reason that they think it's a dumb idea is because it's always been there. They've always had a draft. So it's like you don't really want things to change. You want things to mostly stay the same because you feel like if there's change, then everything else is going to change for the worse. And there's just, you know, you're dreading things. And it's just like, hey, we have to keep, you know, balancing the NBA. And I think we have to kind of, get out of that way of thinking because even even with that look at they've the nba has changed a lot since it started like how many teams have been removed been relocated um renamed and the nba is still as popular as it's ever been they've been changing rules you know before i think it was two years ago they changed it to where if uh your team gets the offensive rebound the shot clock doesn't reset to 24 seconds. It just goes back to 14 seconds. That's something that that's a drastic change in the game. And the game is still fine. They've changed defenses. They changed it to where you can't have, uh, you can't stand in the paint for three seconds. They changed it to where you could come out of, you could come to the NBA straight out of high school. And then they took that, took that rule away. So now you have to do what you have to do. You have to be like 18 or you have to do a year of college. Like they've, they've changed a lot of things in the NBA and the NBA has been fine and hasn't missed a beat. So doing something as far as changing, like getting rid of the NBA draft, that that is a little bit more drastic than some of these rule changes that they've had lately. But that doesn't mean that the NBA is just going to swallow itself whole and it's never going to be uh, great. It's just going to fold up, pack up shop and just go away. I don't think that's the case. And I think the NBA as a league when you look at their own or the uh, the commissioner, I think he's open minded enough, open minded enough, and progressive enough to at least consider something like this. I think it would be, I think it would honestly be better for the league. It would it be better for the player? It would be a benefit to him, and it would be, it would help enhance the careers of certain players because we've all seen those players that you can look at the player and you'd be like, okay, that player is great, like Anthony Davis. You look at him, you can tell he's great. He does everything that you would need from a player of, he's got size, strength, speed. He can handle the ball well enough for a big man. He can shoot in the paint, in the mid-range. He's decent from three. He's a monster on defense. But the Pelicans, year after year, failed to surround him with good players, with solid talent. And what do they get in return for that? the number one pick this year and they changed their GM. So I, I feel like the GM that they have now is a little bit better at his job. So hopefully he doesn't waste Zion Williamson's career like he did Anthony Davis's, but you know, look at someone like DeMarcus Cousins when he was playing in Sacramento, he never had any good players over there. Not one. They never made the playoffs, but they had a, a great player and they weren't able to do anything with it. The same with like Devin Booker. I feel like the same thing was going to happen with Kyrie Irving had LeBron James not got there. But there's how many times do we have to watch great players get wasted by bad franchises? At some point, it's got to get it. It gets tiresome. It gets tiresome. And I've read another article. I think uh, it was uh, Tom Hamstrow wrote it. I think it came out maybe two weeks ago, where he was making the argument that teams are getting worse at drafting players. You look at the NBA finals on the, the, the championship Raptors, 
they have zero lottery picks on that team. Zero. So it's like you give these teams, you give these bad teams multiple opportunities to draft great players, and they continue to fail at it. They continue to miss. They continue to whiff on it. And yet we keep rewarding those teams. And at the end of the day, it's a crapshoot. They don't know what they're doing anyway. They don't. And I look at Zion Williams, and I, I remember watching the uh, the NBA lottery, and he was walking through the set for some reason. And he put his hand on the Atlanta Hawks uh, desk with their with their logo on it. And a lot of people took that as, oh, this is Zion wants to come to Atlanta. Zion's going to be a Hawk. And you know what? Zion Williamson should be a Hawk. He should be. I feel like that team has a solid enough core. They play in a pretty – he's from the uh, – I think he's, he's either from, like, South Carolina or from Georgia, so he's close to home. Imagine if Trey Young was able to recruit Zion Williamson. Imagine if he was able to show him around the facilities, show him the city, introduce him to the players, take him to, you know, Magic City or something like that. And show him, like, hey, this is Atlanta. This is what we can do. This is what we can provide for you. This is what I enjoy about Atlanta. This is, you know, how we play the game. This is some of our playbooks. Like, people people enjoy the recruitment aspect of sports. People go crazy doing, you know, when uh, high school players are, are, are committing to where they want to go play at college at, college basketball or football. We look at that stuff, and we're entertained by that, and we like that because we watch it, like – we people literally watch high school kids tell you where they're going to play in college. People tune in for that. They like the idea of the recruitment. We love free agency where, okay, Kawhi Leonard, he's going to take a meeting with Brooklyn, New York, Los Angeles, and Toronto. And we follow that stuff. And we're looking for news clippings and sources and, and whispers about, hey, maybe this meeting went good, this meeting went bad. You know, he might, he's leaning towards this way. He's leaning that way. Imagine having that same feeling twice a year. Imagine having it during the NBA draft season to where you have Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett and, and um, John Morant picking like, hey, I'm going to narrow it down to, I'm either going to go to the, to the Hawks, to the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. And I'm going to, these are the teams that I want to go to, and I'm going to go on recruiting trips. And I want them to sell me their team. Sell, sell your team to me. Sell me your franchise. Sell me your city. I bet fans would uh, be on their best behavior. I bet people in Boston would get their shit together <laughs> and change the way they behave out there. <laughs> we love the idea of, of recruiting. We do. We're we're fascinated by it. We like to watch it. It's good TV. It's better TV. So what do we do about parody in the NBA? Can we be honest about this? There's not, there is no parody in the NBA. There hasn't been parody in the NBA. When has there been parody in the NBA? The Warriors have been to the finals the last five years. LeBron James has been to the finals, what, not last year, but before LeBron signed with the Lakers, he was going to the finals, I think, eight times in a row. Before that, it was the Lakers. Before that, it was the Bulls. Before that, it was the Lakers again. Before that, it was the Celtics. Like, there's not a lot of parity in there. Like, every now and again, you'll get a Detroit that sneaks in a championship here or two. You know, a Dallas Mavericks team will show up and win the finals. Houston will sneak in, too. San Antonio, kind of here and there, but they're always kind of in the mix. But let's get rid of this idea of the NBA is going to lose parity because we don't have parity in the NBA. We haven't had parity in the NBA. The NBA is not a parity league. The NBA is one of those leagues where you can look at preseason rosters, look at the schedule, look at the conferences, and pretty much say, like, hey, these are the teams that are going to make the playoffs. We know which teams are going to make the playoffs. We know which teams are title contenders. We know that because if you have one or two of the best top 10 players, you're a championship contender. It's not like the NFL or NCAA where you're playing a one-and-done tournament 
where if you're the sixth seed in the NFL, you can become the New York Giants. All you got to do is win a game and you can move on to the next round, even if you were the worst team that, that regular season. In the NBA, you get at the most seven games. And in a seven-game series, the better team, 90% of the time, maybe even 95% of the time, wins that series. There's rarely any upsets in the NBA. You probably count on one hand how many upsets there have been in the NBA Finals. Or not in the NBA Finals, in the NBA Playoffs. It doesn't happen. There is no parity. So you have the draft, and there is no parity. So if you take away the draft, you're still in the same spot. You might not have – you. I think, I'd argue that you have an opportunity for more parity for other teams to kind of, to kind of prove themselves, to sell themselves to players, to get their heads out of their asses so they can recruit some of these young, young, this young talent. So, so they can get good players to their team. You're put, let's, let's put pressure on these owners, on these GMs to do a better job. Let's stop rewarding mediocre front offices. Let's stop rewarding people that are bad at their jobs. Reward the good teams. Reward the well-run franchises and organizations. So another thing people would say is if you take if you take away the draft, then all the good players are just going to team up and become a super team and, you know, sign with one team. Sign they're they're all going to sign in Milwaukee, or they're all going to sign with the Lakers, or they're all going to sign with the Clippers. How many people can play basketball at a time? You can only put five players on the team, on the floor, at a time. And if you're good enough to play in the NBA, you've got an ego. And if you <laughs> – players want to win. There's no doubt about that. Players want to win. But players want to be the reason why their team wins. That comes with being great at your sport or at your profession. You have to have that in you to be great. So why would every top rookie, why would Zion, RJ, John Morant all sign up to go play on a team together? Somebody's got to be the man. And if you're good enough to be a lottery pick if you're good enough to play the nba you you're an alpha you haven't you're an alpha personality you want to be the best you want to be the man all three of those guys can't be the man on the same team and like i said earlier if you have a um what like a salary cap for rookies you can only signed you only have a certain allotment of money for rookies then you can't sign you can't hoard all your rookies you just can't take all of them because you're not going to have enough money. And even then, how many how many championship teams have been led by multiple rookies? Like the only one that I can think of is Magic Johnson when he came in as a rookie and won the NBA Finals, but you got to look at how many, you know, he had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on this team. Like it's not like it was just Magic Johnson and a bunch of nobodies. It was Magic Johnson and some Hall of Famers and a Hall of Fame coach. So you're not going to find a lot of NBA teams who are out there dominating the league with a bunch of first and second year players. It's not how the NBA works. It's it's a grown man's league. Like you have to go through some things. You have to go through some struggles. You have to learn. You have to learn the game, study the game. And you can't, you're not going to be able to just come in there as a rookie or second-year player and just take over the league. That rarely happens unless you're the greatest player of all time. It rarely happens. So the idea of all the top rookies teaming up somewhere, you can throw that out the window because, for one, you can't afford them. And for two, it's going to be a while before you win with them anyway. So you're going to need some established players, some veteran players, some leadership some guys that have been around the league for a while to be able to lead that team and show them how to be professionals. Oh, man. Yeah. So I just don't really see the point of having an NBA draft. And like I said, it, and it's, it's, it's not even just with the NBA. It, it bothers me when I see it in any sport and, and when any team does it, when you can clearly see that a player has game-changing talent 
is one of the best players around and they continue to be surrounded by piss poor players, bad management, bad ownership. I feel like what we're doing by having an NBA draft is trying to be fair to billionaires. Like, is that, that's what we need to do? Like we need to take the billionaires feelings into consideration. We need to make sure the billionaire is being treated fairly in the NBA or in any sports. That's who we need to, that's who we need to stand up for. We need to stand up for Mark Cuban. Like, come on guys. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not a billionaire. You're probably never going to be a billionaire. You're more in line with the NBA players, with the college players coming up into the draft. You're more in line with someone who is coming up into the profession, into the professional world, looking for a job and signing up with the best job, signing up with the with the company that's going to give you the best chance to make money and be good at what you do. And that's what these college players are coming into the draft. You're not the person that owns the company and that's just picking up people to come work for you. That's not who you are. That's not who I am. We're the workforce. We should be rooting for other people that are in the workforce. Like obviously they make millions of dollars to do that work, but in theory, we're all the same. So we should not be on the side of billionaires. Billionaires, billionaires who for the most part, aren't good at their jobs. They're not. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and like, I'm not going to shed tears for Dan Gilbert because he doesn't know what he's doing. The only reason Dan Gilbert has a championship is because LeBron James was born in Akron. Ask yourself, if LeBron James was born in Chicago, but he was still drafted by the Cavaliers and he left Cleveland and went to Miami to win championships. Do you think once he leaves Miami, you think he's going back to Cleveland? For what? For who? For Dan Gilbert? For that guy? You think he has any invested interest in going back to Cleveland when he's not from that area? You don't think maybe he's like, all right, I can go to Chicago. I can go. I can actually go home and try to win a, a title for my home team, for my actual home team. I can go to L.A. now. I can go to the Clippers, go to the Lakers. He can go anywhere. We we all know that LeBron does not go back to Cleveland if he's not from Akron. And you and and look at what Cleveland did while LeBron was gone. He was gone for four years. The Cavaliers had the top pick of the top. They had a top three pick. Every year that he was gone, they got Kyrie. What Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, and someone else. Who am I missing? I can't think of who else it was. But either way, within those four years that LeBron James was gone, they never won 40 games. Never. So outside of the Cavaliers drafting arguably a top three player of all time, the Cavaliers haven't done, haven't shown any type of competence in what they're doing. The only thing that they're good at is being located in Cleveland and being close to Akron. Even when LeBron was there, like I think the GM did a good job, but that GM wasn't there until LeBron got there. So having LeBron makes things a little bit easier on the GM because you have a great player. You have a top 10 player of all time, a top five player of all time on your roster. So just look at that basic example. The Cavaliers were in the lottery four years in a row and couldn't put together anything. All they had were a bunch of losers. If LeBron James doesn't go back to Cleveland, Kyrie Irving is what we think of. It Kyrie Irving becomes Devin Booker. He becomes a great young scorer that can't win you nothing. That's what happens to Kyrie if, if LeBron doesn't come back. Andrew Wiggins, he was drafted number one overall. He's playing next to Carl Carl Anthony Towns, and he's still not good. He's still not that good of a player. Yet he was taking number one overall. Like these GMs and owners don't know what they're doing when it comes to drafting players. I can I'm gonna tweet out both of these articles, an article about why they need to get rid of the NBA draft and why 
NFL NBA teams right now are getting worse at drafting players. I mean, you can just look at it. These bad teams are only st- – they're staying bad. There's not a lot of t- turnover when it comes to the playoff teams. There hasn't been. Some teams get lucky. Sometimes you draft a once-in-a-lifetime player. Sometimes that happens and you get lucky. But for the most part, they only make one LeBron James. They only make one Kobe Bryant, one Michael Jordan, one Shaquille O'Neal. Those players don't come along often. Sometimes you have to actually be good at your job and pick a player that's going to pan out. And a lot of these people haven't done it. So that's, I feel like that's pretty much my piece on the NBA draft and why they should get rid of it. Let me look, let me look. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you're a team that plays in like Utah, it's going to be hard for you to attract free agents to rookies because you're in Utah. I remember there was actually a day on Twitter where I said that, where I was like, nobody wants to go to Utah because Utah is boring, especially if you're a young black millionaire in your 20s. Why would you want to go to Utah when you can go to Miami? And let me tell you, the people of Utah were pretty upset with me, and they tried to get me out of the paint. But I stand by what I said. Utah is not a fun place to go. You can name – no one is going to go on vacation to Utah. That's not a top 10 destination that you'd want to go to. If you could go anywhere in the U.S., Utah is not going to be in your top 10. It's not. And that sucks for Utah. That sucks for Jazz fans. But maybe you try to make your locker room, add more amenities, get a better medical staff, hire a competent coach, get your fan base together. You're going to have to be more creative than teams like Miami, teams like Atlanta. It's going to be harder for teams like Utah. But it's already hard for teams like Utah because they drafted a player they drafted Gordon Hayward and he didn't want to stay. So if you're the owner, you have to consider like, Hey, maybe I need to move my team. Maybe talk to the commissioner. Maybe you got to sell the team. If that's what it takes for you to win, then you might have to do that. Maybe get your team moved to Seattle. Seattle has a really good fan base. People like Seattle, but it's going to be tough for teams like Utah to attract players. Teams like Phoenix, who are out in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be hard for you guys. Toronto, Toronto's the NBA champions. They're in a whole other country. It's going to be tough to attract stars there. You just have to be better in other areas. You have to be more elite, and you have to have other factors, other attractions that want to bring in good talent. You got to step up in other places. Because you look at you look at teams like New York, they're just kind of resting on the idea that they're the mecca of basketball, and people just want to come play there. That's all they're relying on. They're not trying to build anything. They're not being good. Uh, they're not being smart at basketball. They're just being bad and getting rewarded by going to the lottery over and over again and hoping they get a once in a generation player. So be better than all those teams. Be smarter than them. Spend more money in other areas to try to attract these other players. And, I mean, you're Utah, man. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you just got dealt a bad hand. That's like saying, oh, well, how come How come the strippers don't want to come work in Utah? Why would they want to come work in Utah? They just don't want to do that. Like, if I'm an actor, if I'm whatever, location matters. It does. And you're in a shitty location. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, want, I don't want Utah to get back. I don't want them to get in my ass again. Like, I, I understand it. It sucks for you guys, but that's the hand you were dealt. That's kind of what it has to be. The same can be said for Cleveland. Like, I feel the same way about Cleveland. Like, it's in a shitty part of town. I think they have one of the worst fan bases out there. But that's where you're located at. You just happen to be in Cleveland, and there's not much you can do about it. But you have to be better in other areas. But... I think that's all I got right now for the uh, NBA draft. I really would like people to kind of get at me about this and talk to me about it. Do you think the NBA should get rid of the draft? And do you think it's a bad idea? Like, if you feel like everything I said was out of pocket and just completely wrong, 
let me know. I'm I'm always down to talk about it. I'm down to be challenged about it. But I feel like if you read the articles that have been that have been put out there, people that are way smarter than me are saying that the NBA would be better if there was no NBA draft. So you can hit me up on uh, on Twitter. I'm at uh, Marcus underscore Sniffles. Um, definitely hit me up. Very interactive on there. Make sure you guys uh, retweet, share, um, like the podcast. You can listen to it on SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Um, you might be able to listen to it on YouTube. I don't know. But uh, just go ahead and check us out. Hit me up. And real quick, I'm, I'm done talking about uh, the NBA draft and all that stuff. This is just – if you're still listening, this is just me just rambling real quick. I would like to shout out people – that do this professionally like do podcasts solo or even talk on the radio like the people that come to mind to me off the top of my head like bomani jones he had a radio show where he was just talking by himself uh colin cowherd same thing he's pretty much just talking by himself this shit is super hard man like i don't know how they do it where they can just stay focused uh stay on track be entertaining be engaging, keep people listening. And that's, it's, it's really hard. Like I'm, I feel like I'm a lot better when I can talk with people. I can bounce ideas off of people. And I feel like most people are like that when they're talking, like I'm sitting, I'm sitting in an office right now by myself, just talking to my computer screen. Like most people don't go through life talking to themselves like this. Most people talk to other people, talk to people on the phone, talk to people through text, stuff like that. It's a lot easier, it's more comfortable, it's what we know. Talking to yourself, trying to keep your thoughts together, trying to remember what you just talked about, what you're going to talk about, what you are talking about, trying not to uh, have too many long pauses, making sure your throat's not dry, making sure your throat's clear. It's very hard. And I, I commend anybody who is out there doing podcasts or radio by themselves because this shit sucks. <laughs> Not gonna lie. I don't like doing it, but I'm literally the only person that watches uh, basketball on the podcast. And I want to get some hot takes out there. So this is what you get. Uh, be sure to check out the Reduced Lunch podcast, the Interstellar podcast, Sports and Bullshit. Um, make sure you guys are uh, supporting Trill T, uh, best tea out there. And uh, also check out for uh, Street Wolf with the uh, production. This is Committee Podcast. Peace. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Ryan McLaughlin from Don't Call This a Podcast, here to thank you for rocking with the thekidswearcrowns.com and our podcast collective. If you're liking what you hear, do us a favor and check out the website, thekidswearcrowns.com. We've got a plethora of content for you, articles, TV and movie reviews, playlists, and a collective of podcasts, which includes Don't Call This a Podcast, Sturdy Show Presents the Barbershop Podcast, Two Dope Smarks, The Committee Podcast, Pretty Petty Politics, and We Bring In Love Back. We've also got a brand new webcast called Politics As Usual, hosted by Ron and AJ. So be sure to go to thekidswearcrowns.com, subscribe if you like what you see, and follow us on Twitter at the KWC blog. Thank you.